Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. As the CEO of SVN Rock Advisors, my guest, Derek Lobo, is an aspiring broker who provides a one-stop service for rental apartment developers. Over multiple decades, he feels he's been blessed to have had the opportunity to lead many of Canada's largest rental transaction sales. Derek started consulting in the apartment industry in 1986 in response to the growing need for the industry-specific products and solutions, and he's been a passionate part of the purpose-built rental community ever since. There's no part of the apartment industry he's not been involved in ever since the inception. With more than 30 years of experience, Derek is a valuable asset to any developer's success on their projects. Outside of his work, he's passionate about health and fitness with a daily workout routine, and he encourages his staff and business connections to do the same. He's also the proud father of three daughters and a grandfather of eight grandchildren. Today, Derek and I cover a range of topics from the almost post-pandemic recovery and economy to the future of multifamily investing and real estate investing in general, and of course, much more. Without any further delays, let's get this show rolling. Derek Lobo, welcome once again to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, returning guest. Patrick, good to see you. It's my favorite place to be, man. Now, listen, it's been almost a year, or it has been over a year since we last spoke. And so uh, let's, before we get started, for listeners who have not heard your uh, original podcast, let's uh, give them a little bit of insight into who you are, what you do. Well, Patrick, I'm a uh, commercial real estate broker. Um, I think you would call me a one-trick pony. We only sell apartment buildings and everything to do with apartments. So the land the feasibility study for new construction. We do the lease up and then we'll do the brokerage. And I'd I'd say over the years, we've sort of wound up in sort of three areas, four areas that are, that are niches. Uh, Student housing Mm -hmm. uh, is a niche, Um, affordable housing, uh, new construction. And the, the fourth one is probably one of the most interesting. It's selling complex intergenerational family portfolios. You know, some of these people who built portfolios in the 60s, have left empires behind, but now there's 14 or 20 heirs to the throne and they're not all going in the same direction. We've just developed an expertise in coming into those families and trying to give everybody what they need and deserve as opposed to what they want. Because one wants to be a developer, one wants to be a film producer. Very different risk profiles. 
right? Yeah. So, so, so we've got a ton to talk about because we, I know your story. And if people really want to know more about Derek, we really went in depth into your backstory yeah. and how you got to where you are. This multifamily space is a big conversation with going on. I want to find out what's going on in the multifamily space. Exactly. And you just laid out a number of things there for us that I want to talk about. And now, not the least of which is you've been doing this for what, 30 plus years, Derek? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's about 35 years I've been in the business. Yeah. 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 I've got another 25 to go. You got another 25 to go. You're the same plan as I am. You're on the Freedom 95 plan, I know, and uh, and I'm playing that game. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the multifamily space. And and let's give some perspective to all of this, Derek, is that you're uh, kind of, you're in a, you're in a the, you play in a bigger space. In other words, the, the multifamily units that you're working in are several, like they're 60, 50, 80, 150, 200 doors, that kind of thing, correct? Yeah. Yeah. You know, just just I'll change that background just for one second. That That's a sampling of sort of the deals that we do. We've, we've done about four or five deals in the two hundred million dollar range. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I think probably our average deal size is, you know, 30, 40 million dollars, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. But but that being said, I mean, we've done a number of five, ten million dollar deals in the last year. Sure. Right. So we, we, we don't do duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, things like that. Right. But but yeah. I would say con- conventional apartments is our business. And but the point is, is and we're going to talk maybe about careers to focus is i think where you have to be today the world today wants specialists not generalists yeah you know what i'm saying yeah i do and i think that's a really really good point that you made here and and we're going to get to that but i want to go back one step in all of this derek and when we look at the multifamily space, when we look at what has happened over the course of the past 15 months since this whole pandemic took place, I want to know from your perspective, what calls do you think you made right early on? Which ones did you make wrong? Uh, what have you adjusted along the way? Because where we started and where we are is far different than many, well, I would say everyone anticipated. And uh, it, from economists to bankers, the smartest guys in the industry, they all made the wrong call when it came to the housing market and the overall real estate industry. But beyond that, what have you started to see morph and change? That is such a great question. I wish you'd sent that to me in advance because that's <laughs> worthy of thinking about that a lot. What calls did I make right and what calls did I make wrong? Well, the wrong ones are easy, Okay. No, and I fixed it. I am going on a hiring binge, hmm. okay? For the first time in a good eight years, there are great quality people in the marketplace, okay? So we're about 20 staff people. I'm going to hire between six and 10 people this year, okay? Because hmm. I'm getting great people at fair prices. You know what I mean? A lot of good people just lost their job or their job became less meaningful. You know what I mean? They became harder and things like that. And so I think that would be the call that, you know, I should have made earlier, Mm -hmm. but I'm making now, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of of, of what I called right, um, I don't think anybody got the housing market right. (laughs) I didn't even try, man. So we know what I've realized, Patrick. Don't make any guesses because nobody knows. We are in uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. We are. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are, We are, to some extent, living on the knife's edge, okay? And I think the right policy decisions of interest rates, unemployment, immigration, and so on will get us hopefully down the road on the night. But you raise interest rates too late, you get massive inflation. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay. You raise them too early, you get a recession. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think the housing market is doing great. I agree. Your members have done great. Okay. But I don't think you did great because you were so smart. I think you did great because the things things just worked out that way. Now, look, you had the courage to go ahead and buy the thing. That's the first step. Yeah. Okay. I'm not taking that away from anybody, but nobody could have predicted what happened. And more importantly, nobody even can predict what's going to happen. These are uncharted, unprecedented times. Be prepared for multiple outcomes. Okay. So, so I think the other call that I think I sort of got right was I said, okay, brokerage and consulting stopped in March. Okay. But by the time July came, they were good again. Okay. Amazing. Okay. Sure. But during that six months, what I said was we're going to do two things. We are going to get into the education business of teaching our clients how to build apartments. Mm-hmm. Okay. We always ran seminars and so on live. Now we just took them online. They were more successful online. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was one. And the second thing I said is, look, for the first time in history, we have a chance to breathe a little bit. I had a good staff here, right? Mm-hmm. We pretty much kept everybody on, okay? I said, let's write our standard operating practices. So let's, when we come out of this, and so I kept saying to myself, okay, we're going to come out of this in three months, six months, nine months. 
I want to come out of this and have my best 100 days ever. Make sense? Sure. Okay. So I just, I didn't know when those 100 days were, the next year was going to be, but I knew that if we did the right things during this period, we'd come out of it better. Okay. And I think we are out of it better. 2020 was our best year in history. Wow. You know, it's interesting. So many people are making that statement. Now I say that so many people are making that statement in the real estate industry. Yes. Outside of the industry, not as much, but certainly there has been some sectors that have done exceptionally well. But let's talk about economy because it's one of my favorite topics. And and I really want to discuss economy, how you see things. And you said it so well is that we're really on the knife's edge, given what the Bank of Canada is going to be you know, the decisions they're going to have to make, what are the policy makers going to have to do? And this, what are the decisions they're going to have to ultimately make when it comes to interest rates, given the fact that, to your point, if they raise interest rates too early, we are going to really run into some challenges, number one, with the dollar uh, escalating in value, which will then affect our export uh, market. And, and if they don't raise the rates, then we're already, you know, I mean, the headlines are all over the place around what's happening with the in the world of inflation. And there's lots of reasons for all of that. And we can talk about that. But I think that's such an interesting point that you make. Now, on the multifamily side of it, what does that mean for you on the multifamily? So let's say they raise the rates. I don't know. Gosh, I just don't see them doing it. I think they painted themselves into a bit of a corner. But having said that, you know, will a quarter percent, a half a percent, will that make a difference in the multifamily space? No, I, I don't think it will. But I think the multifamily sector has done extraordinarily well. Apartment prices are actually up since last year. And we've just gone through the weirdest economy in, you know, in the history of the world. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. But prices are up. But here's what I would say. And I'm not talking, Patrick, about the larger buildings. OK, mm-hmm. um, I would say that every apartment owner is equity richer but cash poorer. Okay, so so the NOI on multis has come down because rents have also come down. Well, rents have come down. Delinquencies went up a little. Vacancies went up a little. Yeah. Operating costs went up. Yes. Everybody was home. They were cooking lunch, flushing the toilet, taking more showers. So utility costs went up 15%. And municipal taxes can't be far behind, okay? Oh, because you know the it. cities are going to need money. Where are they going to go to? They're not going to go to the office guys, or the hotel guys, or the retail guys. And they're not going to go to the homeowners, right? Well, we say we're, they're not going to go to the homeowners. And I agree that that's going to be the kind of the last resort. But you, if you recall what happened in Calgary when the downtown core of Calgary emptied because of the oil and gas crash, they actually yeah. had no place left to go but to the homeowners. And I want to say it was a couple of years ago, 2018, 2019, yeah. that I think property taxes went up an average of 9% in Calgary. I think that's the wow. number, and I might be wrong. Yeah, but, but, but I think, yeah, in Edmonton, uh, apartment taxes have gone up 25% in the last three years. Wow. That yeah. is significant. And they're really, and, and you talk about Edmonton. I mean, in Edmonton, that multifamily space is really getting beat up. It's a it's a tough haul in Edmonton it's right tough, now. Yeah, it's tough, yeah, it's yeah, tough, yeah. Right. So what do you think now when you say you're you're changing over buildings and, and and I'm not talking about the generational transfer, but because we know that generational transfer of wealth, we that's a big topic as well. I want to talk about with you. But when you look at buildings exchanging hands, are they only going to larger REITs? Are they going to small groups of individuals that Put an LP together. Like, where where are they going, and why do you think people are going into that space? Yeah, I would say that the majority of transactions that we do in that forty million dollar range, sure, yeah, probably twenty million and up. Okay, I would say it's almost a one way street of private individuals, Mm -hmm. limited partnerships that have reached their you know their 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 ten year whatever right, Mm -hmm. Um, going towards institutions. The institution is the buyer. We sold a few billion dollars worth of real estate. And they're all the it's 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 it, it feels like it's a one way street, and it's been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. In that it's uh, it's just private people are getting out. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, they're either old, the partnerships broken up. They just got enough money. You got to go live your life at some point. Right. You know what I mean? Look, apartments are beautiful, but they are illiquid, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a big tax bill to pay at the end that requires a lot of planning and so on. It does. So just over the year, what I what I say I've learned over the year. Uh, Patrick, it kind of comes back to that first really good question you asked me. I have to write that down. Is um, I would say that people are tired. And I would say that institutional apartment owners, they have organizations, they have structure, they have HR departments, they have policy manuals. They know what ESG means. They, you know, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Private guy running it with his kids or like he's been taxed and he's exhausted. It's a and grind. It's a grind. It's a 
Why? No, but his value went up. Sure. And here's the question I would say. Do you think taxes are going to be lower in one or two or three years? <laughs> okay, well, that we, that isn't even a loaded question. That's a firm no. They're not going to yes. be lower by any stretch of the imagination. So therefore, maybe you should get out now. Okay, but let's let's look at reverse of that. You know, with given what's going on in the economy, we look at interest rates. You know, I think you and I both would agree, and maybe you don't. I don't see interest rates going up anytime in the in the future. I don't see a- unless in, unless inflation takes off. Yeah, if yeah. Starts taking off. They're going to have no choice because otherwise, you get serious serious inflation, and the cost of that is comes out in so many places, right? But we're already facing that problem, Derek. I mean, let's face it. I mean, and, and I mean, the, Derek, the, the, sorry, the cost of lumber is, of course, the headlines, but yeah. that's not the only thing in the headlines. Yeah, everything. When, everything. You know, everything. labor yeah. costs are going up. You know, okay. some, you know, somebody's talking about, well, yeah, but you know, JG, okay. you know, uh, as you've met JG, he's giving me the gears. He says, yeah, but Patrick, tomato costs are down 69%. You know, and I go, okay, JG, it's the spring in Canada. So, yeah. you know, vegetables aren't a problem. So we, we have access to them and it's always about accessibility. But let's go back to, you know, interest rates rising. Do you think there's a chance of stagflation? Do you think that there's a chance of really high interest rates and and high unemployment i mean this goes takes us back to the late 70s early 80s okay so let's look at the alternatives here first of all my final answer i don't know (laughs) (laughs) okay that's okay i agree that's our final answer but let's methodically go okay let's use some critical thinking to look into the future (laughs) right right okay so i would think that you know inflation is one scenario yeah okay looks like the likely one but never believe don't think you know anything, right? Mm-hmm. Deflation is another one, mm-hmm. right? And I think stagflation is the worst of both worlds. Yeah. So you get stagnated, stagnated growth with inflation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what you do to protect against that. That that's a difficult, difficult scenario. Yeah. The reason I look at you know one of the things I'm when I'm when I'm kind of assessing what's going on, I'm looking at what you know the, the position the federal government's in, and you know uh, I mean right now they're doing a little bit I, I, you know smoke and mirrors. I call it saber rattling. It's not really saber rattling, but it's just really you know they're they're jawboning about okay, well OSPI came in and they're going to you know make it harder to qualify in the real estate world and try and slow that market down. I don't think they're going to be successful at that. The banks are already working around that with their own qualification the more process. they say they want to fight something the more it'll be you know what i mean yeah yeah I agree. totally and i you know i have a, a fundamental <laughs> saying now a little bit of a mantra that i use all the time when the when the people who cause the problem are also trying to solve the problem we've got a problem and that's sure. really what's happening right now sure. so but let's go back to you know in when we look at real estate when we look at what's going on economically when we look at interest rates you know you're talking about families that are taking money off the table got that but what are they doing with that capital i mean when we look at people that are investing in real estate some of the bigger let's say yeah. some of the reits that's always their game that's the game they play but there's also you know smaller investors and i'm talking about even small groups or you know like a, a group of let's say four to six individuals who get together and and put the capital together to buy a small building i mean there's a, still a flight is do you think here's the question do you think real estate's a flight to safety in terms of what you do with cash like where else do you park cash because in an inflationary world and the fact that they're printing as much money as they are it's actually de valuing the our, our fiat currencies. We know that. So what's your thoughts on that? That's how I'm kind of looking at it right now. I'm, yeah, I'm trying no, to work no, no. through it. I, 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 I think that real estate is a great hedge to inflation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's always two sides to a story here. It's never that simple. The problem is that in the apartment industry, mm-hmm. we live in a regulated industry. Whether you like it or not, we live in a regulated industry. Rents have been frozen in British Columbia, Nova Scotia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. right? I don't think they froze rents in Alberta, but it had its own challenges. You didn't need to freeze rents because they were dropping anyways. Sure. But across the rest of the country, everybody froze rents. In the U.S., the bastion of free enterprise, there was no eviction, right? And, you know, and so on. So here's the part about – so multifamily and, and real estate is great. For inflation, because as everything goes up, you can't replace it and so on, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with apartments, and I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, because it's but you just have to, this is, we don't know the answer. Sure. The top line in apartments can be easily controlled with eviction freezes, rent freezes, and rent control, okay? Or some limitation on your ability to charge rent. But your expenses, there's no limit on that. So this can get frozen and this can go up, squeezing your NOI. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if your NOI gets squeezed and interest rates go up, okay, then all of a sudden that's going to change it. So there are, there, 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 it's a multivariate thing. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, and, and, and again, final answer, we don't know. We don't okay? know. But be prepared for multiple outcomes. Fair enough. Mm. Deflation cash is good. Inflation real estate is good. Okay. Right? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tap into. Yeah, let's just go buy Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> go buy Bitcoin. This is a fifty percent drop this week. So I mean, buy well, it on the, buy on the dip. You know. So, anyways, I, I so I mean, but hey, listen. You know, when we look at what we have to do, we're dealing with a global pandemic. We're dealing with a global economic situation. And we can't think as Canadians that we live in this bubble that is, you know, not at the effect of what's going on in the world. And 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 I pay a really close attention to what's going on with our southern neighbors yep. in the U.S. And and that is an act, you know, that is definitely a bit of a cluster screw happening over there as well. So when we look at what's happening, just like I say, globally, we have to say, well, how do we prepare for this? You know, and that's okay. so I say, yeah, if Bitcoin makes sense for you, then great. Is this store of value? That's arguable, debatable. It's not currency, really, but maybe it is. Who knows? But there's gold, there's silver. Uh, and then we look at real estate as another uh, part of what we do. The equity market, if you want to play that game, that seems a little bit. I don't know. It seems a little bit nerve wracking to me. I, I I don't have a lot of equities anymore. I've over the course of the year kind of got out of that world because I just don't want to play that game. But let me ask you, I'm asking you, Mr. Wisdom, Mr. Real Estate Guy, you've been around the globe a long time, you've yes. traveled the world, you pay attention to this stuff. Tell me what to do. So I would start at an earlier principle. I would first start with your life. Mm -hmm. Fair enough? Sure. And so the first place I would invest is you and your children and your grandchildren. Okay, mm -hmm. so like we're talking, we're talking, we're going back to blood, sweat, and tears. We're not talking about derivatives here. Yep. Fair enough. Sure. So I would say the first thing to invest is probably in yourself and in your health. Fair enough. The best dividend returns are going to come from that. And by the way, you can spend fifty hundred thousand dollars a year in that area. I can prove it. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. No, but when you say invest in yourself and your health, the health part easy. And I mean, and I mean, I'm I'm a big advocate, and 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 I know you are now, and 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 have been I am for now. Yeah, yeah. You, you got a lesson the hard way, and and yeah. that was. But now you're there. But when you say yeah. invest in yourself, are you talking about education? Are you what are you, what are you yes. referring to in that okay, education? So so, yeah. so so for example, um, I spend a you know uh, twenty thousand dollars a year in a coach. Mm -hmm. And his name is Dan Sullivan. Yeah, Dan. Fantastic coach. Gosh, he's so, so recognized. Right, so recognized. right. But, but there yeah. you go. Okay. But I would invest that. So I would invest in a trainer who would come to my house. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. I might invest in eating better quality food, yep. maybe drinking better quality wine. You know, it's yep. amazing yeah. that the thing that COVID's Orga happened. Organic, organic wine. I mean, gosh, it's got to be good yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I would say that would be number one. That's sure. kind of like a no-brainer. You yeah. should. But, you know, sometimes we're too cheap on ourselves. So... I'm not talking about living like like wearing a Rolex. If it turns on, wear a Rolex. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But but what I'm saying is investing in things that are really going to be meaningful to having a great life. Mm -hmm. Right? I'll tell you some other places. I decided this year to help my children buy houses. Mm -hmm. Okay, houses are so expensive, and I thought, you know what? Let them buy the house they can live in the rest of their life. Not a not a palace or a mansion, but you know, I didn't want these star little townhouses and you work your way up and you I said, let's just help you do it. And I didn't give them the money, I lent them the money. Mm -hmm. I lent them money at this preferential rate. Yep. I put a second, I put a mortgage on their house. Yep. I put a first mortgage on their house. I made sure they had enough. I did a business deal. Sure. Perfect. I did a business deal, but I called my favorite mortgage broker and I said, today, what would be the absolute cheapest interest rate you could offer on anything, anywhere, anytime? Mm -hmm. And they gave me and I said, Mike, okay, that's the number. Fair mm -hmm. enough? Yep. And I registered a mortgage on the property. Okay? I, I like what you did there. And, and, you know, something you and I have been around the block enough times and, you know, given what I do within the real estate investment network and that world and the stories yep. I hear, you did something that I would want to emphasize here is you, you, you did a business deal with your kids. And uh, yeah. I think too many parents don't do that business deal. And that comes back to haunt somebody later while you said, and I don't remember that. And how did that all go? So that's just some, that's just some parental wisdom that we share there. You know what, Patrick, <laughs> but that even happened in the lead up to this. Oh, there you go. I know that I immediately put it in writing. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Me say, look, I can't have, I can't have a miscommunication with my children. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you first as a father, not your banker. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I call them, I'd say, it's your banker calling. I'll say, it's your dad <laughs> calling. Let's just make sure we keep that clear. But okay, now the business Brilliant. discussion has ended. Brilliant. Now we're going on to this, right? Mm -hmm. So the kids will be important. The next is I, I have grandchildren now. And, you know, I think that I, I, I'm investing in my grandchildren to teach them to be business people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know what? 
the best lesson I probably learned was the four paper routes I had at one time. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. two paper routes, right? One was a weekly. But but so so all I, I realized if you can teach people the skills to earn money, because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Like mass inflation can wipe out a fortune, divorce, family break, all kinds of situations, bankruptcies, you could get sued. But so teach yourself and your children and your grandchildren to make a living. So that would be the foundation. Now, if you've got a little bit of wealth, you can't spend it all on that, right? And then mm-hmm. next, on top of that, I go probably some form of diversification. I don't know what that is, but it seems to me the four buckets of 25% of cash, gold, real estate, and some stocks, if you can stomach it. I have a hard time stomach stomaching the stock market today, but I think I've always had a hard time. The the thing that you mentioned, though, in all of this was you, you, you talked about watches and you talked about wine. The only thing you didn't talk about is art. Now, interestingly enough, is that Rolexes are hard to come by. They're almost all sold out. They're constantly talking about not being able to get inventory because they're sold out. Yeah. Now, there's yeah. a combination of that. I think there's, like everything else, there's a combination of logistics and, and parts and all the rest that go with it at a Rolex factory. I'm not sure, but I think that's part of it. But it is a huge demand because people are investing in uh, watches, like like a Rolex, as an example. And there's certainly some way bigger brands than even Rolex. The other is is good wines, really high-end wines people are investing their capital in, as well as art. And it's interesting because it goes back to the question I ask is, you know, what 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 are these families and and do, what are they doing with the capital that they're pulling off the table? It can't sit in a bank. And I mean, anybody is well advised, given what's going on in the world, to uh, stay as liquid as you need to, but you can't have that money sitting in the bank. It's just not going to work for you. Final answer, I don't know again. Right? <laughs> Final answer. I think we got to preface this whole show with, I don't know, but here's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so look, I think diversification probably makes some sense. I, yeah. I, I have a hard time hazarding a guess as to as, as to what you should do. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that you know people are feel we all live in gilded cages right now. Mm-hmm. People are feeling like they need to explode. I don't care what it costs me to go on a holiday. I'm going. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think watches, luxury cars, and plastic surgery have gone through the roof. So you know. Stuff that people would luxury goods seem to be doing really well because people who had money have more money mm-hmm. and the people who don't have money have less money. So I think there's been more of a polarization in wealth and we're, that would probably be one of the end results. And some of those results aren't particularly good if you play those out. Well, you you made an interesting point early on, and that is that you're hiring more people in your office. Now, I mean, the thing about that is that when you look at availability of people, are you actually finding and getting applications of people who are looking to change jobs or are they actually unemployed looking for work? Because you know, Interestingly enough, most of them have jobs. They're mm-hmm. just not happy in their jobs. I'll tell you one thing that I have done because you're getting, you get, sometimes you get overwhelmed with resumes. Mm-hmm. Here's our separating the wheat from the chaff. We put out a video mm-hmm. on our job. So I'll get on and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then so I'm hiring an EA. I've hired an EA. I talked to them, my staff came and talked about me on the video. So, and, and then I asked them to send me a video back. That separates, if someone's not prepared to do that, to me, that, that was a good separator. We just asked for a video back. Didn't ask for a great video back, we got videos back. That just said that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, there are people to hire, I think, yeah. um, not as many as you think. Okay, well, that's that's the reason I asked that question is because there's a lot of conversation about unemployment. So here's my view of the world. I think that the numbers that we see at you know uh, sub ten percent, you know nine and a half, whatever, you know, they, of course they give a national average, and that varies from province to province. Yep. But when I look at that average, I'm going, I don't believe those numbers. I, I, as a small business owner, I just don't believe those numbers. I think that that there's a couple parts of it missing. Number one is that. There's a number of small business owners that are either shut down or very, very restricted, and they wouldn't qualify for the unemployment side of that right. equation anyways. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that number is is really, you know, is doesn't represent them. The other part of it is, is how many people have just said, I'm not even going to bother trying to find work. So they're right off the charts. Some of them, you know, look at how many, how many kind of, let's say, 55 plus, and I know there's a number of them. I've even met some of them. And I, and I don't, not that I know a lot, but I've, I've met some that would indicate to me that, yeah, there's some 55 plus that went to hell with it. You know, I'm done. I'm going to shut it down. I'll stay at home and and, and I'm not going to worry about it. So that's all to say that I, I think that there's a part of the economy in when it comes to unemployment that isn't really being stated 
in an accurate way. And, and, I, and I can understand why they're doing that because you don't want to paint a gloomier picture than is, but I think it's also a number that we have to look at as real estate investors, as business owners, and kind of take it with a bit of a grain of salt, given what I hear and see is, uh, seems to be going on in the background. Any thoughts on that, Derek? First off, we don't know. We don't, but they're not beating the doors to get 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 in here. I can tell you that. Fair enough. But there's better people that used to be available before. Do you think that's a wage subsidy issue? Yes, you do. Eh? You know, no. you see in the U.S., it's 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 very it's huge in the U.S. Um, yes. where they're actually having significant labor shortages. Their unemployment is is arguably, I'm told, bumping 25 percent in some states, and yet they cannot get staff because people are, you know, what is it, 18 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour US, uh, of course, um, that they're being paid to not work. So, and you, you think there's some of that going on here in Canada as well? I suspect. And so I look at it, you know, I own retail stores, by the way, I've been at the effect of the pandemic. So, you know, I've been, I've owned retail stores, my retail stores in Edmonton for 37 years. Wow. They so we we specialized in the skating industry, high end, mid to high end hockey and figure skating, right. and um, they shut arenas down. Well, of so course. it's not even you know it was like early on people were going well. I guess you know when uh, when the tide goes out, it'll be you know you'll find out who's you know who's swimming naked. And I'm going, what has that got to do with anything? You know, at the end of the day, you're in, you know it's like a whole industry's been shut down. How long can you keep staff? How long can you? kick the can down the road. And, and so 37 years later, I've shut one of my locations down totally. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the remaining location and trying to work with the staff while Jason Kenny decides what he's going to do. And that in, therein lies the other part of the problem, which is, you know, how Ontario is handling this shutdown, lockdown, restrictions, non-restrictions versus BC versus Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Like every province is doing it slightly different. And, you know, that part of it is incredibly frustrating, but I don't, so when you look into the future based on what you're seeing, you know, we talk about unemployment, we talk about uh, rates. What are you, what are you kind of predicting? What is it in your mind today, Derek, what are you planning for at, you know, 60 years old, 60 plus years old? Someone else's problem is an opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're not here to save the planet. That's not your job. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Your job is to find the best scenario for you in this mixed up kind of crazy world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Keep singing the song Lola all the time. Like it's just this mixed up, mixed up, mixed up world. And so is Lola. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I think that don't like, look, if you're unemployed and the unemployment rate is 10%, don't think about that. Think about the one job you want to find. It means that 90% of the population is working. You can look at it. It's like when vacancy yeah, rates are yeah. 7%, like, it means, oh, well, guess what? 93%, uh, there's a, there's 93% uh, of properties that are being rented. So focus on that. I guess that's yeah, it's just the yeah, way you yeah, look but, at things. No, no, but, but I think the other thing to think about is say, in this adversity, there are going to be great opportunities. Mm -hmm. Okay? So let's take your skill, your unique ability, what you love doing, right, mm -hmm. and see can match that to emerging opportunity. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. But 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 that only works for risk takers. That doesn't work for the regular guy. And so what I think is is that the world is moving towards supporting the risk taker. Okay? And it's moving less and less towards a guy who doesn't want to take any risk. Hmm. Okay? And and so our options as risk takers are increasing. Okay? Mm -hmm. and, and and when you take more risk if it's appropriately done, there's more opportunity. Right? Hmm. So everyone listening to your show is taking some risk by going buying a property or doing something in their life, right? You took a risk in opening up your sporting goods store, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But you know, and, and and so some things have. So I just think that within the risk, there's a there's a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And but but it's not, but here's the other point, and I say this to people because I guess I've been an entrepreneur, you know, almost all my life. That this isn't for everyone. No, sure not. It's a mistake to assume that. Um, I think maybe. Two or 3% of the people out there have the entrepreneurial mindset. I think a lot of people who call themselves entrepreneurs are essentially just commission salesmen mm -hmm. or they're consultants who bought themselves a job. They don't make any more money as a consultant than they went and worked for the municipality or a company or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, if you're only making that much, go work for a company, get the benefits. Don't, you know what I mean? Like you should only be an entrepreneur if you can make a multiple on what you can make as an employee. Too many people make that mistakes. And I think you you mentioned it earlier. 
think a lot of small businesses have been hurt. Mm-hmm. And I know this for a fact because we have large retail clients. They said when we saw our clients' books, we were surprised at how bad they were. Mm-hmm. In good times. In good times. So they weren't making that much money. So measure what you're giving up as an entrepreneur. And you're going to give up sleep. You're going to give up weekends. You're going to give up a lot of things. You know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So make sure that if you're going to do that, it's worth it. And don't do it to make the same amount of money or 10 or 20% more than you would at a job. Do you think our federal government will move towards UBI, that universal basic income? Do you think we're going that direction? Yeah, I, I, I do. I think the world is moving left. Yeah. And, and I think it's, I don't think I want to say unstoppable, but it's feeling unstoppable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know how it happened so quickly. I think maybe, Patrick, guys like you and me were asleep at the wheel. And all of a sudden, things have been just almost pulled out from under us in terms of society and what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, both mm-hmm. what you can say about someone, yeah. how you can treat someone, uh, how you can tax someone, right? And, and all the things in between. So, yeah, I, I think the world is moving more left. Yeah. Maybe it'll move back right, right again and so on. But, like, I look at Alberta and, uh, you know, you'd think that the election of the NDP was a one-time event. Nope. It could happen again. Here's what I believe I know. I think next election, NDP's in. And that's not to make, I'm not I'm not that far left, but I've also noticed too that even our conservative government has gone further left. And I mean, in general, conservative government no, no, has no. gone left. Yeah, so, so, so the whole left entitlement woke movement yeah. has gained momentum here yeah. and gained it through um through through the media mm-hmm. for sure yeah they used covid they've used you know uh black lives matter yeah. they've used you know a whole bunch of social issues like that sure. right you know I, I had no idea we had an asian race problem in canada yeah until i saw a billboard on it yeah <laughs> right it is an interesting time. It, you know, they talk about the Great Reset and they talk about the Great Reset in an economic world. But really, they're what they're referring to now that I've kind of spent some time with it is the Great Reset is technically about what's going to happen in our, you know, socially and who we are yeah. as as people. And and that's a that's a big, big change. And, and so we can debate that, talk about that a lot. We don't know. This is how it's looking to go. I'm going to go backtrack a little bit because I, I don't want to lose the topic of what's going on in that multifamily space because we got lots of real estate investors that do listen yeah. to this. And when you look at even the small buildings, let's let's kind of think smaller given your background, Derek, is when we look at these small, let's say 12, 15 unit buildings, they seem to just, they get snapped up in a heartbeat. Like they yeah. barely even, I'm sure there's tons of pocket listings going on that aren't even hitting the market. When we talk about some form of flight to safety, somewhere to put cash and, and actually leverage money. I mean, when you look at it, let's let, I mean, let's, let's consider the fact that if inflation, they're talking about 3% inflation. I don't agree. I think the inflation is higher than that. And I think it will continue to escalate. Yeah. So when you look at inflation and let's say, uh, let's say inflation, even let's say it's inflation is at 3%, let's, let's, you know, 3.2%, whatever their number is. I know in Ottawa, they said it was 4.1%, but if inflation's at 4.1% and I'm borrowing money at two and a half or 3%, that math works really good for me. Yeah, no, I, I think especially in smaller buildings because it's a pyramid, right? There's more buyers at this end of the market. I would also say in the smaller buildings, you don't have the discipline there. Like an institution is just not going to pay through the nose for 300 units. They, they've got guidelines, returns they have to hit, and yeah. they've got to follow protocol. They've got a fiduciary responsibility. Mm-hmm. But when someone goes out and buys a 10plex for a couple million bucks, a lot of people can afford that today. A couple of brothers together, work, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, so, so, so what, what you see happening at the smaller end of the market, I'm not even sure it's a cap rate deal anymore. Hmm. It's, it's a price per unit deal. It's a price per pound deal. It's a, I just want to buy, we, we sold a small building, 36 units in, uh, in Stittsville outside of Ottawa. Mm-hmm. I said to the guy, look, there's a newer building, but I said, you're not going to get that institution. It's just too small. For 60 units, we get an institution there. I said, this is going to sell to the local businessman. The local Ford dealer bought it. Mm-hmm. There you, know, you go. Like, he just wanted to park few million bucks somewhere. You yeah. know what I mean? He wanted to get some income for himself and his children after he was gone. So that's what's happening at the lower end of the market. Mm-hmm. I would I would take it, I would take a guess that if you wanted to buy the like a really super safe investment, would be to buy a brand new building that's small. Mm-hmm. That speaks to another issue that's happening with the older buildings, which is, you know, insurance has become is is become very problematic. 
uh, at least for the small investors that are are buying older buildings. Insurance is problematic for everybody right it now. Is, even yeah. on the big units, eh? No, no, no. More so, and, and on wood buildings, for wood, example. Yeah. Insurance premium is higher. Than that. But I would come back to saying that for those of your clients that are inclined this way, the if you the, the yield from a from a new building, okay. Remember mm -hmm. that development profit is now yours. Mm -hmm. So you're building it at a six cap, mm -hmm. not buying it at a three cap. Fair enough. Yep. So if you have that ability to build, but you don't have to build, you can partner. Fair enough. The actual job of building, it turns out, isn't that difficult. There's lots of people who know that. You can hire someone to build it for you. It's knowing where to build, what to build, right? How to finance it, how to put the deal together. Then someone comes along and builds it, right? So we spend, so if you're asking me about, you know, you ask about what do you do with money, right? Mm -hmm. So let's let's say you're you're 65 years old, you own 100 units or 50 units, whatever it is, and you get some money. What do you do with it? I would, I think one option is, is to, as you get older, stop using your back and only use your brain. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be hiring a drywaller or yelling at a painter. Let someone else do that. Mm -hmm. Help people become real estate developers by investing in their deals on a safety first basis. Meaning mm -hmm. if the deal goes under, you just walk away from your money. Your covenant isn't on it. Your name is not it. The other guy's on it. Fair Got enough. It. Yep. So he's bringing his back to the deal mm -hmm. and his brain and his relationships. You're bringing money to the deal and your experience, Right. And you're one step where you can you can do this from Florida. When we talk about real estate, let's go back because I know that you had you'd supported your kids in buying real estate. Now you're looking at doing that deal in the past year. Now, do you still think that single family space? Are you are you saying it's okay for them to buy a piece of real estate because you're confident where real estate's going, or you don't care if it comes back or down? It's a kind of a long term play. Yeah. Again, you know, Patrick, you know, like th th this isn't my space, but I think your house is kind of an investment that's also utility, Sure. right? I'm going to live here for 20, 30 years. Mm. Let's buy the house in the right neighborhood, the right size with the right backyard that allows you to grow in the house. I do love, and I did this when I was young, that's what I think I'm so, you know, I bought a house and I converted to a triplex. I lived in the basement. I lived in the middle floor. I lived on the top floor. Like sure. Before I got married, right? Yeah. So I think uh, I think that, you know, you can kind of make your house a bit of utility, right? If you, if you do that, you know, multiple unit thing or something. I think for... We got we got some young guys in our shop who are make who are doing pretty well, and I was saying just go buy just go buy a really good triplex, mm -hmm. a really good one, okay? Not something you know gerrymandered, a really really nice one. Live in one unit, you know what I mean? And yep. uh, then you know what? Pay it off a little bit. You can keep it. You can move into the house. You can leverage against it. Like I, I like buying. I think quality real estate. Mm -hmm. I think I like buying quality, and so we encourage a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there with the skills to build. Look, if you take the majority of apartment buildings in Canada are less than 50 units, yeah. way less than 50 units. For the sure. Average, yeah, yeah. So that's what got built in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Okay. Now it's become all monster buildings. But I think there's a renaissance of that happening. And can, can I mention the book that we wrote? Yeah, please. We wrote a book called The Future Apartment Developer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and for the Rain members, it's on our webpage. We'll give you a hundred dollar discount on it. Okay, uh, to come just put Rain one hundred in. Fair enough. Beautiful. Okay, and I think we sent you a graphic. If you want to put that up at the beginning or at the end, or whatever, yep. Patrick, that'll be great. Okay, all Perfect. right. So so I think that if you can make a six percent cap rate on building versus buying it at three and the building's brand new, right? Mm -hmm. So. But, but again, that may just not be you on your own. That's where your ability to raise money and syndicate, because you guys teach your guys how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, maybe maybe that's an option for you to think about as staying active in the game, making developer returns, you know, and so on. Yep. I mean, ultimately, when we look at what's happening in the economy and you look into the future, you're looking into the future not only for yourself, but you're looking into the future for your kids. You're looking into the future for your grandchildren. And when we look at what's happening economically, do you remain optimistic or do you only look at it from a perspective and go, what shows up will show up and I'll deal with it when it shows up and I'll do whatever I can to mitigate in the meantime. But at the end of the day, I can only control what I can control. Have you got a, yeah. have you got a philosophy around that? Yeah, I, I think a, a couple of them are, you know, hard times have hit us and hard times will hit us again. Mm. Difficult things are going to happen too. So my first philosophy is, 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 you know, all the bad things that happen to you are the raw material for future growth. Mm -hmm. So, when when the manure hits the ventilator, Patrick. Yep. Okay. 
you say to yourself, all right, something good is going to come out of this. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes a year, I'm not even in a year from now, I'm not going to remember it even. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And if you think about the growth period you've had in your life, some of your darkest moments have been the energy for some of your brightest moments, I think. Yeah. Right. So I think hard times just come in life. They come in relationships. They come in health. They come financially and they come in the broader economy. Right. But if something happens to me personally, I can't kind of dodge that. You know what I mean? But if something happens to the broader economy, I think the approach I take, the philosophy I take is where's the opportunity here? What's everybody not thinking? What's everybody missing? Fair enough? Yeah. Now you talk about you've got a coach, uh, Dan Sullivan, who's yeah. renowned. I mean, gosh, Dan, Dan is literally renowned. I mean, there's I, I, unbelievable. I've got fr- I've got friends in in uh, London who work with Dan. So it's a it cracks me up that he's uh, he's done such an amazing job in what he's done. But having said all that, are you the kind of guy that has a mastermind group? Do you have a, a group of advisors? Do you have some buddies that are in business that you can you phone? Do you have well, a methodology that way? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I have, I guess, what I would call my unique process for thinking. So when I get an idea, there's a process I go through. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Number one is I Google the heck out of it. Then I talk to the smartest people I know. Then I try and kill the idea. Then for me, I wait two weeks. And that's the hard part because I want to <laughs> just go. Right, just let it percolate. Then I fill in an impact filter. It's a strategic coach tool. And I just keep, so I've got this process I sort of go through. And, you know, if you go through life and you stay in touch with people, people love to help you. When you say, I don't know, I'm uncertain about this. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear about wonderful you are, how many books you've sold and how many blah, blah, blah you've done. Sure. What you want to know is where are you uncertain? Where do you say, where do you show vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? So I'll say to someone, I'm thinking of doing this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll give you an example. My uh, my daughter was looking at buying a house. Okay, I happen to be quite good friends with the head of the sixth largest architectural firm in the world. Mm-hmm. Right? So I send him this little house and say, <laughs> "What do you think?" And my daughter, she, she goes, "You know this guy? He builds seventy-two story towers in Dubai, and he's commenting on the house." So what I'm saying is, ask people for advice mm-hmm. humbly. Mm-hmm. gratefully you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. and there's a lot of smart people out there man you just need to know them and connect with them and they'll tell you one thing somebody else will tell you something else you know and things like that right yeah the different views of the world right which can sometimes be confusing if you let it get it too far out of control and it's really about not asking opinions it's actually it's actually looking to uh, you know experts in the world i mean if you ask somebody else who doesn't have experience as an architect they're just going to give you their opinion, which is really is probably no, not much better than your opinion. So reaching out to the expertise is, uh, is I think, key to that. Uh, but I love that process, Derek. That's very, very cool. Quite profound. You're a wise old guy. No, come on. <laughs> so, Derek, when you go into the future, you look at your business, you look at that multifamily space, you look at real estate, you remain optimistic about it. What kind of when you're when you're advising clients, when you're you, we talk about generational wealth, and, and this is an interesting part because I think, let's go back a little bit to the economy. Let me fill you in where my view of the world is. I mean, as we speak today where the borders are not opened, although there's a little bit of immigration and certainly not opening yet, but that we know is coming. You know, Trudeau's committed to really that 350, 450, whatever the number is, let's say 400,000 uh, immigrants coming into Canada. We then have uh, the rollout. Things are starting to ramp up as the vaccine vaccines happen, and we're starting to see things start to slowly open up. So I think economically, we'll start to see some exuberance and uh, consumer confidence, hopefully growing as things start to open up again. And so when we look at the real estate market, I, I don't see, you know, we talk about, a lot of people are talking about a, a bubble. I think it'll be a slight pullback. I don't think there'll be a bubble that, that pops, per se. We may see some pullback. So that's how I view it. And then we have one thing that people don't talk a lot about is the generational wealth that's happening with boomers that, you know, become the bank of mom and dad for their millennial children. That's my sure. view. So I'm, I still remain quite cautious as always, you know, in my world, in the single family world, particularly buy for cash flow in the multifamily world, you know, pay attention to what you're doing. But ultimately, I remain quite optimistic about the real estate world. And we talk about generational wealth. You're seeing generational wealth happen because people bought assets when they immigrated into Canada, and that's now transferring. So what what kind of thing are you seeing? Like, How is that showing up in the world of real estate for you? Well, I think there's 
as much liquidity in transactions as there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I expect 2021 will be a record year for apartment transactions in Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's about eight eight billion a year that's occurred in, in 2020 during the shutdown. Wow. Eight billion occurred in 2019 wow. is what eight billion. Wow. So I see that number going up. Maybe 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 it goes up by 50 percent. Right. That 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 would be significant. Mm-hmm. So real estate is is changing hands. Um, you know, I guess I guess Patrick, we all get biased by what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. It's hard to separate yourself and look down on the world. It is. Right? But but I just see this from, and we know the numbers here. We do these deals. New apartment construction is the real estate asset class. Look, hotels are going to be challenged. Yes. Okay? Commercial, retail, right? Yes. Um, be ch- How much self-storage can you build? Do you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. apartments, we've had 20, 30-year hiatuses of building, right? And if we're, we have a growing population, the affordability of homes is getting harder. So people are going to stay longer as renters and things like that. So I just recognize the niche of new apartment construction. Um, COVID has ironically helped it. Sure. Right. Because people all live in small apartments say, if I'm going to live in an apartment, I want a bigger apartment. I want a balcony and so on. So, so I guess my view of the world is that I guess if I understood blockchain, well, I'd be talking all about (laughs) Ethereum, right? We tend to, we tend to talk our book. Mm-hmm. We tend to talk our book. So it's it's very hard to be unbiased, even when you're trying to be unbiased, right? My world, uh, you know, favors lower interest rates because it's better for real estate, right? Real estate prices go up, more people sell and transact, right? And things like that. So it's just it's just hard to say. The only thing I'd say is that, you know, multiple outcomes. You know, you said something that was really interesting. So in the past, it made no sense to for builders and developers to come in and do purpose-built. Now, are you saying that you're seeing purpose-built start to pick up again? Are you seeing developers yeah. come in and go, no, I'm going to build a building? Yeah, we're, we're, we're certainly seeing it pick up. And we're seeing it pick up in suburban locations mm-hmm. and suburban, urban, and smaller centers. But that supports the, the trend. And I think it's going to be a long-term trend of people moving into those suburban and even urban areas. So, uh, you know, the smaller centers, I guess, is, is ultimately what we're, th- what we're talking about. Well, you know, I have been, I guess, personally, I've been a road warrior for 30 years. Sure. Like I've visited people. I spent my life in a car almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm not sure I have to come back to that anymore. Look, I still need to meet clients and I want to meet clients Mm -hmm. for lunch and for dinner. But I don't need to drive for an hour and a half just to get in front of a guy. Mm -hmm. Now, when I got an offer, I want to see the guy's reaction. Then I want to be in front of But if I'm having a catch-up call... Or, you know, our, our consulting business prior to COVID uh, was running 100% online. Yeah. And, and, so, but it's, and, and so it's been amazing. I've seen people buy houses and buy buildings out of visiting them. The engineer walks around with a camera on his, on his hard hat. Sure. And gives them to the building, you know, and so on. So I think that, I think that the, there are foundational changes coming. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of them are going to be positive. Mm-hmm. But key point is, I think you just have to be ready for what's coming and not, you know, what's the phrase when, when, when they started making cars, the answer wasn't to make better buggies, <laughs> just right. get out of the buggy business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. There was a quote, there's a quote by Ford that I was like, people don't know what they want. And he goes, if, if I listened to what people would, would wanted, I would have bred faster horses. You know, it's like, so people don't know what they want, but that, that's a total aside note. But when we talk about what's going on economically and we, let's just go back to the immigration number. You know, if, if we do in fact open up that border and, and it does, you know, open the opera or create the opportunity for 400,000 immigrants coming into Canada for, you know, every year for the next, however many years, I mean, we look at the rental demand and I'm going, gosh, do we even have, can we even supply? No, we, no, we can't. And so it means housing price will continue to go up. Yeah. Rents, rents will continue to go up if we don't have legislation. Yeah. And we put more basement apartments into houses. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Canada. Here's a basement roof over your head. Mm-hmm. Now, is that more in line, I guess, when you look at, you know, when you look at parts of Europe or even if you get into the UK, it's very densified. Do you, do you, do you see that happening in Canada, which yeah, is weird yeah. given how much space we've got? Yeah. No, no, no. We, but, but densification makes sense on so many levels, mm-hmm. right? Um, it makes sense from an energy standpoint, from a transportation standpoint, from, from retail, from rejuvenating neighborhoods, from schools and so on. Uh, we, we, we actually spend a fair bit of time on, on, on the topic of densification. Mm-hmm. Um, we teach a course on it. 
And and so what? Well, give me some takeaways in your. And when you talk about densification, uh, give me two, three, five top highlights of why densification. Now, I'm on the densification page, by the way. I get it, I, but I'm I'm curious when you when you're actually teaching it and you're having conversations about densifications. What's kind of the top three, five things that you focus on? Well, I, I, I would say number one, as long as the land isn't being used for parking, it's free, right? So mm. you created equity by doing a severance or by getting the zoning done. Sure. You've created money. Fair enough? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would be number one. Number two, your old building gets better when you put the new one beside it. Mm-hmm. And let's say I own a 20-unit building here, and I build a new 20-unit building here. If I put a party room in here, right, and they these people can now use it. Now I can afford a full-time superintendent rather than part-time super. Now I've got 40 units to fix up and pay for the front gate and the driveway and the gardening. Sure. So – when you do intensification, don't think about just the economics of this building. Think about the impact on the other building. Fair enough? Understood. Okay. So, so those would be like two important takeaways that people don't normally think about. Mm. So you give okay. a view of the world. So that kind of expands people's understanding. So I get that's, I mean, that's so, uh, that's impactful. It's also very interesting that people who are in that space aren't necessarily thinking that way. But I guess that's why you're the expert in the space that you're the expert in. So, Derek, when we look at what's happening in the world overall, and and I say this sincerely, is our, like you say, do you look at it optimistically in terms of, no, I know you, you, you have an optimistic view of the world. Got that. But when you look at the world and you see what's happening, what kind of things are you a little bit nervous about? What are you afraid might happen? What do you think? You know, like you're going, hey, sure, I don't know. Sure. So I, I think I'm, and, and as we said, we're, we're just spitting and whittling here. Yeah, think, yeah. Right? Of course. Okay. I would say that I'm fairly optimistic about Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're the beauty queen in the ugly contest. Yeah. Right? There's resources here. There's money here. There's good institutions. There's good civility. Mm-hmm. Right? Whatever you think about our current government federally, mm-hmm. okay, there's good institutions in Canada. Mm-hmm. That It's not corrupt. Mm-hmm. Right? The legal system works. The banking system works. It's 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 fairly highly regulated, but maybe that wasn't so bad. It limits growth, but it also limits things getting out of control, mm-hmm. right? And so on. So I think for Canada, I'd be fairly optimistic. I think for ourselves, the people who are entrepreneurial and fast to adapt, mm-hmm. I'd be very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Okay, for the people who aren't. I would be less optimistic. Yeah, I think you make a really great point, which is, you know, adaptability. Are you, as an entrepreneur, are you actually moving or are you resisting? Are you sitting back waiting for things to happen? Or are you actually, because there's there's an inherent risk in in actually using some critical thinking to make decisions. And, and that's, but that's part of being an entrepreneur. The key here is that you have to, you're kind of, we have to go in eyes really wide open, paying attention to what's going on. You have to have a kind of a 360 view all the time of what's happening, which means also surrounding yourselves with great people. I was looking to this, forward to this conversation a lot, Derek, in that getting your view of the world. Uh, you're, you know, you're based in Ontario, you're playing in the, a, a bigger game in that multifamily space. So you have a, a way different view of the world than even I have. And and I know I have a different view of the world that than you have, but it really opens up the door to see things differently. I know for myself that I'm finding that I'm so entrenched in the actual, uh, I guess you'd call it the, the research, it's hard sometimes to even be optimistic about what's going on, given how much of uh, we're at the effect of what's going on in the U.S. So, so Patrick, I think you've asked a good question. And, 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 one of, and one of the issues that we face during this period has been people having emotional trouble coping with what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So as the leader in my company, I've got to be emotionally up. I can't come in here and go, uh, you know what I mean? You can't be so a doom and gloom I, guy. You can't be a doom and gloom guy. No, no, no. You, you can't be a doom yeah. and gloom guy because even if there is doom and gloom and we don't know, and that's the point, right? We don't know what's mm-hmm. going forward. There's opportunity in everything. Mm-hmm. And this is a foundationally a fair country, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Where the systems work, right? And, and, and so in that scenario, there's going to be opportunity. I mean, the technological stuff coming with, blockchain and smart contracts is almost unfathomable, you know, mm-hmm. unfathomable mm-hmm. Right? So how things could change. And look, I remember the first time the guy explained the internet to me, he said, Derek, it's like having your brochure and people can see it on their computer. Then they'll click on it. And I, 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 I had a hard time fathoming that. <laughs> now I'm going to print more brochures and mail them out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? 
So there's change coming. The rate of change is faster, right? And um, and and so just just stay on top of it. Make smart moves, and hopefully make those moves um, early. And you're gonna and you're gonna lose some, but you run your wins longer. Well, and I think you make a really good point on a whole bunch of fronts here, Derek. And you know, you talked earlier about when we look at you know, there's a chance of deflation going you know forward. And I know when we look at what's happening. Uh, inflationary, but we have to also consider what's happening in the world of technology. And technology is actually very deflationary. It actually brings the cost of things down. Yes. It brings the efficiencies yes. of things down. And yes. as, you know, and and I know that as much as you may like to wear great clothes, great clothes are you know there's they're way better priced than they were. I mean, so there's the co- there's parts of cost of living that have come down a lot. It'll be interesting to see what happens as airports potentially open up using you had mentioned earlier you talk about the hotel industry and and what that means commercial and retail space and the struggles that they're going to face going forward hopefully air travel will open up sooner or i wonder it's already open but i mean open up more sooner than later but to your point and i think we're all on that page is that if i don't have to get on an airplane to do you know to to fly five hours to do a two-hour business meeting i'm just not going to do it it's no longer efficient it's no longer cost effective it's no longer expected by the client. And it's no longer expected by the client. As a matter of fact, you know, we look at the, the RAIN community. And of course, as you know, we've done, we've done a live events for literally 28 years. We had done yes. live events and people love face-to-face, face-to-face. But, you know, something, the more we get into Zoom meetings, it's, it's lots of people still want that face-to-face. But when we oh, look I, at... I, I want the face-to-face. 100%. I miss it. Yep. And I absolutely want it. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Having said that, do we want to do it on a monthly uh, structured basis like we did in the past when when all the feedback from our rain community is that, yes, we want to be able to meet face-to-face occasionally, but on a regular structured basis, I want to come home, I want to have dinner, I don't want to have to arrange sitting, I don't want to have to deal with parking, I don't want to have to deal with traffic and all the things that going on an ongoing structured kind of basis. So, you know, on some big events, that's probably where we'll go will definitely do face-to-face as they start to open up again. But we're also seeing where people's lifestyle is around efficiencies as well. I can stay home with my my wife and the kids in the background. I can still pay attention to what's going on. So it's an interesting kind of world that we're living in and the shift and the change. What will that mean going forward to the event business? I mean, the event business is shut down. You know, weddings are shut down. So it's, it's just going to be very, very interesting to see how things unfold over the coming months uh, with all of this and being able to step in and react to that, see where the business opportunities exist. I think you're right. Uh, my, my gut feel is that we're going to do less events, but they're going to be better. I agree. They're, they're going to be, be better. They're epic gonna be events. More, yeah. They're going to be a little more over the top. Yeah. They're going to be a little more, you know what I mean? Because you're going to do less of them. Yeah. So, so you have the money and the time and the effort. And yeah, I, I think uh, I personally like live events because mm-hmm. I'm a networking guy. I view events as a networking opportunity. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And so I'd say I miss that. But do the other people attending who I want to network with, I think they'd rather. I think they would rather rather stay home. Well, it's interesting is that you know I love live events. I love uh, you know you know one that's of the what things we do, man. that's what we did. That's what we do. You know, being on yeah. stage, supporting others, and learning. That's I mean that's what we're built to do, and that's what we love to do. Uh, we launched the Rain Channel, which is an exciting thing for us because we're really taking all the education and the content and pushing it out digitally and providing it for people. And then we take our Zoom events and have shifted them to being much more around mentorship and coaching, which is just a cool model and and it gives us all what we need and it gives the community what they need as well which is a, a mix of content as well as the guidance so, and the so mentorship wait, so what so what i said you're taking your content yep. and you're putting it online in, in a learning portal let's call it that yeah we'll call like it that. that it's it's a platform it's we call it kind of uh the netflix for real estate it really is a it is that it is cool. it, it's an opportunity. It's a digital platform. We know that the digitization of content is something that's happening. We know that YouTube and the way you know people are as much as YouTube's a really popular platform, there's some restrictions within it and people are starting to get a little bit annoyed with it all. And so we're we're creating a space for not only ourselves but others who are in the space of education to provide them a platform. So that's what the Rain Channel is all about. It's called the Rain Channel, and that's what we're doing. So we just launched that. Uh, lots of content in there, master classes, and then we're doing real estate is, news. Is it up? Is it up and running? Why, why yeah. Do me a favor. Can you send me a link to it so I can go on it? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love your feedback, by the way. Uh, your honest feedback. You know, I don't need my tires pumped in any way, shape, or form. It's uh, launch. We know there's lots of room for improvement, and that's why we're looking for feedback. So that digitization is something that we're doing, and I know that you're in the education space supporting who? Let's give me some give me some insights into what your education is all about, and who are you speaking with and speaking to? Yeah, our education is all around uh, new apartment construction, and what I found in education is. You know, you've got to get, I'd rather be like, I don't want to be a lake one mile wide and one inch deep. Right. I'd rather be a narrow focus. You focus on small investors. You help them raise their money, you help them buy their first building. You help, you know what I mean? Yep. And so I just think that the world is getting, information is getting so commoditized, mm-hmm. right? That if you want to be in the education business, you have to be educating people who can write checks. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 So, so, so I think. Our view of education is, is that education is part of what we do, but it also feeds our business cycle of brokerage. So the idea would be if I can just show you, for example, so we've written 12 books on mm-hmm. the subject, yeah. right? And no, 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 we're older, baby. Like they're here. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's, it's a lot. A big job, yeah. Right. Um, but the thing is, this will now get people to build buildings. Then mm-hmm. we'll help them lease it up. Mm-hmm. Then we'll help them sell it. Fair enough. Yes. So I, I I tell you that the one thing I've learned as I get older is to think longer, which is quite ironic. Because mm. when I was younger, so I had to be tomorrow, yesterday. You, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it wasn't moving fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, now, now I, I'm in a deal that's going to take five years to complete. Hmm. And that's totally seems quite reasonable. It's all good. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think, I think taking a longer term view may be the answer here also, mm-hmm. because the short-term view is so foggy. We're in this fog. Yeah. It's still not clear. It's, it's not. still not clear. After 13, 14 months, it's still not clear as to as to what's going to happen. So you, you've got to be prepared for it. But count your blessings. Yeah, count your blessings. And it is hard not... I can get fired up when I start talking politics and uh, leadership or lack thereof. Yes. It's one of, those, uh, one of those buttons for me that gets me going pretty good. But at the end of the day, because I've been at the effect of it, you know, and, and so and I've been directly at the effect of it, you know, in my business, on the business side of it. And, and of course, like everybody, I've been at the effect of it just in the world overall. So the frustration of that, what I really like about all of what you're doing, Derek, is, is what you support is development. What you support is economic growth. What you support is the growth of others and their success in and growing their their own wealth, their family's wealth, their wealth of legacy or whatever that might be. And that's a cool space always to play. And I'm I'm really uh, always a fan of that. You know, you look at somebody like Dan Sullivan, who's really spent his life supporting small business owners to have yeah. success as entrepreneurs. I mean, that's yes. a great gig for guys like us. That's what we're built to do. Yeah, and I, I think you know if you think about it. The person who creates the manufacturing job is my hero mm-hmm. because one manufacturing job creates a, so if you create a retail job, okay, well, you hired a couple of people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But I tell you the one, the person who builds a factory, the person who builds an apartment building, the person who builds a house, you're creating, you know, long-term wealth. But I would say that, 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 that at the top of the apex of the hero is the guy that creates the manufacturing job in Canada. Cause I still believe manufacturing is important. I don't think that we, you know what I mean? The people who make stuff are going to do better than everybody else. So Derek, as we wind down here, I could go down a number of paths, but I think we've taken up enough of your time. I want to say, I appreciate your time. I always appreciate getting your insights and your view of the world. And uh, I want to say thank you for joining me today. Well, Patrick, th- thanks for being here. I love, love chatting with you. You asked some really good questions. I think ask good questions. That is the key to having, I think, a good conversation with someone, right? Yeah. Well, good luck to you and your members. It looks like you guys are all doing pretty well and you're in the right space and giving them good advice. Thanks, Derek. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.